We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Brooklyn Buzz Podcast presented by OTGBasketball.com. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, on the buzz, Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? The Nets were somewhat quiet compared to some of their competitors, Nicholas, but still some news trickling out from uh, the infamous Zach Lowe of some uh, really interesting news, trade news involving our boy Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah, a ton of great stuff. There was a lot of trade rumors, especially with Damari Carroll. It felt like he was going to get traded. No really big moves, but like you mentioned, there was a minor move. The Nets traded uh, newly acquired Rashad Vaughn for Dante Cunningham. So this move initially, when I saw this, I thought, all right, you know, this might mean Carroll's gone because they wanted to get a veteran in, but that wasn't the case. What were your thoughts on this trade and picking up Cunningham? I liked it, Nick. Um, We've been, you know, grumbling a little bit about – uh, Quincy Acey's minutes, um, our lack of sort of stretch four. Now, Dante Cunningham certainly doesn't, you know, move the needle that heavily, but he is uh, a quality rotation piece, and he has been a legit starter. So, like, this year alone, he's, I think, started in over 24 games or so for the New Orleans Pelicans. And a lot of people were questioning the fact that the Pelicans got rid of him because they lacked that sort of depth themselves in terms of wing depth. He can nail a three-pointer. Um, you know, we had that sort of uh, the disabled player exception due to Jeremy Lin's injury. I like this move. Uh, it doesn't really move the needle that much. But the fact that as well that Dante Cunningham apparently had to waive a sort of trade clause where uh, he had to accept where he was being moved to and not get bought out and that, in that sense shows that, you know, he, he likes where he's going and, you know, he likes the situation he's going to in Brooklyn. So there's some positive signs there. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's a veteran to have around. Like you said, he's not going to move the needle. He's not going to do anything crazy. The Nets aren't going to win 10-plus more games because of him. But he's a veteran guy to have around. Kenny mentioned they like his tough toughness, versatility. He can play the three and the four. I envision him seeing a lot more minutes at the four. So I don't mind it. Not a bad move. Uh, Rashad Vaughn obviously wasn't part of the future plan, so they really didn't lose anything in the disabled player exception. I didn't expect them to use it anyways unless they made a bigger trade. So I think it all worked out. Yeah, and I like the fact that um, this is via Nets Daily, a little tidbit towards the bottom. Uh, in the 2010 to 2011 season, uh, Dante Cunningham and Sean Marks were actually teammates in Portland and Chicago. 
and they were both traded along with Joel uh, Prisbilla for Gerald Wallace that year. Uh, so nice little tidbits, and there might be a sort of existing relationship there, similar to what, I guess, Coach Kenny has with Damari Carroll. Guys that are good for the culture. I think Dante Cunningham is going to be a nice little, uh, a nice little added uh, chemistry piece for a nice mentor, nice sort of veteran guy that can give us some nice leadership, which we lack at times outside of Damari Carroll. So good moves all around. Yeah, for sure. Actually, that's a great piece of information right there, Jack. Uh, I think that's the obvious reason why they brought him in then. You know, they, you know, Marks knows what he's going to be like. And I think this trade deadline told us a lot about what the Nets think about culture. You know, I think that not making the moves, not trading Damari Carroll, not trading Spencer Dinwiddie, not trading Rondé, not trading Joe Harris, keeping your guys and not trading them for scraps. Because we know there was deals out there, but they didn't pull the trigger unless it was something they really wanted. I also saw a report early, uh, early on the trade deadline that said something along the lines that Kenny might quit if they trade Damari Carroll. Obviously, yeah, so it was kind of, kind of a joke. But obviously, it tells you what Kenny wants and what the Nets want culture-wise. So what did not making any big moves say to you about what the Nets expect the rest of the season? Yeah, I had to listen to the Glue Guys pod today, Nick. And they, they kicked off, obviously, talking trade talk as well. And they sort of echoed the thoughts that I was having about the fact that the lack of moves sort of showed the direction, like you mentioned, Nick. The fact that they're not really want to make any sort of quick now, quick moves, sort of that we would have done in the past, sort of, you know, quick get quick fix moves that are going to just, you know, gloss over the sort of cracks that cause you to become, you know, a sustainable, successful franchise. The Nets aren't going to build just for like one year of success. We want sustained success. And with that, as you mentioned, the key word is culture and chemistry. And with that, that doesn't mean sending out guys that are quality, you know, not just players, but also people that form a foundation that is going to be sustainable for the future. Guys like Damari Carroll, who may have value now, but even if we were to trade him next year, that value is going to increase if he continues his production because he's going to be on expiry. Spencer Dinwiddie as well has just astronomically grown out of nowhere. So these sort of older guys, these uh, veteran sort of leadership guys, uh, help form the foundation of what's going to be a long, successful franchise. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day, and I think Brooklyn are trying to build something here. And it starts, you know, starts with just holding in the quality glue guys, the quality leadership guys that can build a foundation for the future. You know, Damari Carroll mentoring guys like RHJ. So then RHJ can mentor the new guys that will come in next year into our draft. You know, we've got our first round pick. Um, we've got a nice second round pick as well. So it's all about just the development and just the future progression and just the, the fluidity of the organization right now is something that's really, really exciting to see and hopefully continues. And I think I, I trust what, uh, Sean Marks and Coach Kenny are getting that. Yeah, I 100% agree with a lot of what you just said. You know, it told me that they care about winning a little bit. You know, they do want to win some more games this season. They, I think what they would want, like to do is do similar to what they did after the All-Star break last year. Have a nice little run after the All-Star break, build up some momentum going to the next season. So, And then also, I think the perspective of Joe Harris and Spencer Dinwiddie and even Rondé to an extent, you've never really seen these guys do it for a whole season, and you don't know how much better they're going to get by the end of the year. So why not just kind of take a flyer on them and see what's going on? Like you mentioned, Dinwiddie, you can still trade him in the offseason. Carroll, you can still trade in the offseason. Rondé, you can still trade. Joe Harris is the only guy. And with the contract we saw uh, Lou Will get, the extension, that Joe Harris number probably keeps getting a little bit smaller and smaller each day. So I think the Nets feel a little bit more confident keeping him around. And like you said, bringing back the same roster just builds up that like team chemistry. Guys just know what to expect from each other. They know their role and it just kind of allows the team to build up. And I think maybe, just maybe, the Nets think that they're in a little bit better position than maybe even we think in terms of 
not going out and getting that first round pick that probably was available. Yeah, I think internal development is something that the Nets have really banked on, Nick. And I, I think a lot of outsiders can see that. A lot of really established sort of writers and, and media people can see that from, you know, Zach Lowe to the people at the ringer. They see what Coach Kinney is building here. And, you know, the growth that we've seen from players inside the organization, from RHJ, Spencer Dinwiddie has become a guy who's getting a first round offered for him. You know, who would have thought of that going into the season that Spencer Dinwiddie would have been offered uh, to the organization for a first round? Absolutely wild stuff. And I think, you know, you look at, I mean, it's 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 remiss of me to, you know, uh, compare it to the Golden State Warriors, but all of them were drafted internally. And you see the growth and development that they've had, you know, from, you know, Mark Jackson going into Steve Kerr now. You know, the coaching and the development from the assistant coaches and the front office is something that you bank on. You know, the Brooklyn Nets, I think in the, the Forbes released earlier this week, that were the sixth most valuable franchise at over $2 billion. You know, that's something that's absolutely huge and surprised the shit out of me, apart my <laughs> French, to be honest. Because, you know, yes, the Brooklyn Nets are in a, a really established uh, market that is New York, but they shouldn't have, certainly haven't had the success. If you had done this two or three years ago where the Nets were in the doldrums, I think we certainly would have had a, a, a far less valuation than we did you know, earlier in the week. And I think a lot of that credit goes to Sean Marks and Coach Kenny. And I think that value keeps on growing, not just because of, you know, the way that we're going in terms of our play, but also because of the people we're bringing in and just the development in general. Um, I think, you know, you look at the players that we've got and the development they're having, internal development can be just as valuable as, you know, getting these assets. Because you don't know what these assets could be. We know what we've got with Spencer Dinwiddie, Rondo Hollis-Jefferson, Harris LeVert, D'Angelo Russell. Let's bank on that. Let's bank on ourselves and what we're going to turn these guys into. And I really like that. And more importantly, they know what type of guys these, you know, these players yeah. are. You know, drafting a new guy, you don't really know. You do the interviews and all that stuff. But when things get tough, you know, that can change real quick. So it's definitely an intriguing thing, and I'm excited to see what they can do. Also, their practice facility helps, the performance team. We've heard about the performance team probably more for the Nets than I've ever heard in the past. You know, players are really, you know, giving them credit. Damari Carroll, D'Angelo Russell, a lot of these guys have been giving them credit. So definitely appreciate that. All the little details are always what makes a difference for teams. What would you say is the goal for this season, Jack? Like, what would be, you know, the win holder? What do you want to see, you know, after we saw in the trade deadline, they didn't make the trades and they have this team together for the rest of the season. What do you expect? What's your goal for this this team? I'd like to see 30 wins, Nick. I mean, I think we probably might have mentioned it in, you know, probably our earliest pods that we said 30 to 35 would be a, a really nice sort of goal. Um, last year, when our nets were sort of, you know, at that 10 sort of win range, we, we really came home strong. And, you know, th this is when you see other teams that are going to be likely trying to get those lottery picks. Uh, you know, the Orlando Magic, the Knicks have lost Chris Apps, Porzingis, Phoenix Suns, Memphis Grizzlies, they really have nothing to play for, despite the fact that they've kept Tyreek Evans. All these teams are going to be looking to tank. The Nets have no reason to tank right now. Um, D'Angelo Russell uh, is improving. Um, Jared Allen is improving out of sight. You know, we have no reason to tank, and we have all the reasons to go out for the Ws. Uh, I think our, I'm not really sure about schedule going forward, but we have had a tough stretch so far. So I think this nice little break going into the All-Star break is going to be really good for our, our squad. You know, uh, hopefully Spencer did when he gets a win at the, the Skills Challenge, uh, which would be which would be kind of cool. But at the same time, I, I'd love to aim for that 30-win range. I think that would be a really, you know, 10-game improvement is a massive step. And, you know, if we were to win 40 games a year after, that puts us almost in the in the, um, in the the playoff race. But at the same time, you know, we're looking at our pick as well. So I think we have all the reason to go for the wins this year, Nick. So uh, I'm hoping for 30. What about you? 
I agree. I think 30 is a good number, and I think that's a number the Nets should have in mind. We mentioned that number, like you said, on the preview, but I also believe we messaged it on the midseason review too because yeah. I, that 10 that ten win jump, and we also mentioned on the 100 pod for the NBA outlet when we talked about the championship. So we just keep, keep improving by 10 wins. I think that'll make a big difference. You mentioned the pick next year. Now, not trading Damari Carroll can say – Zach Lowe mentioned this. I was thought this to myself. If they had traded Carroll, it would hurt them next year as well. Maybe they're not looking to really get a high pick next year, and they're just going to keep going for that winning type of culture. I think culture is more important than, you know, if you create this losing culture, you look at what's happening in Philadelphia right now. Uh, I think it was uh, TJ McConnell uh, was saying on uh, the JJ Reddy podcast how the culture was something that was left to be desired to say the least. You know, you're not really creating anything if you're creating a culture that accepts losing, that accepts mediocrity. I think the Brooklyn Nets are going for something bigger than just, you know, salvaging for draft picks. Plus next year, you know, the, the ping pong balls fall whatever way you want. It says the percentages, whatever it may be. And, you know, the restrictions come in into force next year. So, you know, despite the fact that the Nets might be still one of the, the less talented teams in terms of roster talent, you know, we still may go for those Ws. And I've got no qualms with going for a win if it means, you know, internal development and we see D'Angelo Russell take another step forward. If it means we see Jared Allen take another step forward, Karis LeVert. These guys who are, you know, 22 and under, you know, we see Jalil Okafor maybe take another step forward as well. I'd much rather see that and, you know, co at the expense of, you know, a 5 to 10 pick because at the end of the day, you know, you pick the player and you bank on your internal development. Right now, the fact that we're turning guys like that are, I don't think we've had anything higher than a 20, 23 pick, number 23 pick in the past five, six years. Yeah, we're turning these guys into very solid rotation players, if not better. So if we get anything 10 or under, which I think the Nets probably still will get based off talent alone, then I'm banking on our internal development. I think that's what it's more about. More about the internal development rather than just the name and the, and the number attached to it. Yeah, I agree. I think you don't you don't tank next year. It says the opposite direction, especially after the trade deadline, because if you're going to tank next year, you should have traded maybe Dinwiddie for a first-round pick or traded Carroll and got something to get some more young guys. But I honestly think that they're going to make a – I think next year you you have to, like, push realistically for the playoffs. I think, you know, the talent might not be there, but you have to push because Delo's at a phase in his career where I think next year he needs to make a big jump. Karras, we're going to expect another big jump from him. Rondé show that consistency. I think there's still stuff to add to the game. We saw the improvements that everybody made over the summer. If they can make – obviously, they're not going to get as, be- as good as they did last year, but even just a small growth in their game – I think it would make the team a lot better. Obviously, Jeremy coming back, maybe one or two free agent signings, nothing crazy. I could see the Nets really making an effort to push for the playoffs and establish that winning culture next year. And I'm not saying, you know, like a high seed, but I could see them trying to fight for an eighth seed. They end up in the lotto with a teen pick. Like you said, they've done great in the 20s. Imagine what they could do a little bit higher. Exactly. And you look at what the Pacers are doing right now, guys that are sort of on the fringes of the playoffs, the, the Knicks are around that range. You know, the Nets could certainly be knocking on the door. And I think with what we're building right now in terms of, you know, the decent amount of assets that we get, everyone's knocking or what's the what's the point of getting a second round pick? Well, if you look at all the second round picks that were traded yesterday, you know, there are assets that could be attached uh, and can be quite valuable when you, you're making deals with different teams. So, you know, the Sean Marks is building up a nice little sort of kennel uh, in a nice little chest of assets. And I think the main thing is the players that we've got are showing progress and they continue to show progress and they continue to improve their games and their leadership. And I think, you know, the communication needs to stay there between the coaching staff 
and the players and the direction needs to be set in stone. You know, we can't go out there and, you know, Sean Marks is, is thinking, okay, well, uh, up to the all-star break, we'll see how we are. And then after that, you know, we'll, we'll tank according to the fact where we're at. But if the, the direction is set and it's communicated to the players, which I believe in, I believe that the communication is one of the real strong suits of the Nets organization. But yeah, it needs to be clear and set, you know, not just to, you know, the younger players, but to guys like Damari Carroll, um, guys that are, you know, are setting a big part of setting the culture down here. And, you know, they're valuable pieces in that set. So I think it's going to be an important year next year, almost a turning point year for the Nets. And whichever way we go uh, and, uh, and the direction we go, as they say, trust the progress. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> it will be a big year. And I think this final stretch will say a lot too. You know, obviously they have some guys banged up, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Before we get there, though, what do you think about, uh, you mentioned this, you showed me a poll or two about it as well. Dinwiddie, obviously he's not a free agent this year, but next year, what type of deal do you envision Dinwiddie getting? Or does that deal all matter on next season? Yeah, look, it's, it's an interesting one, Nick. You know, we're, right now he's on probably one of the best deals in the NBA along with, alongside like a Nikola Jokic who's going to be offered the max. Now, that's not to say that Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be offered the max. I mean, look at where the current, you know, the, the CBA is at with a lot of teams and a lot of teams are getting really wary about, you know, the contracts being offered. You mentioned Lou Williams getting a three-year, uh, three $24 million deal. Uh, Spencer Dilby has youth on his side, obviously. He's about six or seven years younger. So that's certainly a plus for him. But do we want to be offering him a $15, $16 million multi-year deal that could hamstring us when we already have, you know, Jeremy Lin maybe has obviously opted in, which hamstrings us a little bit. Because at the end of the day, we're also going to be have to offering D'Lo uh, a deal in the future. Rondell Hollis-Jefferson, if he continues to show this uh, progress. Jared Allen. So I think the Sean Marks, it's, it's a little bit of a balancing act. You, know, you, you want to reward the guys that you're developing and you want to reward them with a, a decent payday. But I think somewhere in the 10 to $12 million range, sort of what you know, Jeremy Lin might be on now, is going to be a much more elevated deal in, in the NBA until we get those, you know, those bad sort of Mozgov, Evan Turner, Alan Crabb contracts off the, off the books. Uh, around the NBA, which I think is probably about 2019, 2020, then that's when everything will level out. But for now, I think we could be able to get him on a somewhat cheaper deal, which sort of works for the Nets because Spencer Dinwiddie is obviously a wanted commodity. And by that stage, he'll probably still you know, be a very much wanted commodity. So it's going to be a balancing out on, on whether we trade him again. Like, is, is he still gauging that interest or do we re-sign him? I mean, I, I'd like to re-sign him and hopefully we can get him on the cheap. But at the same time, we mentioned my boy, Joe Harris, as well. He might be getting some money as well. So there's certainly uh, plenty of juggling acts, plenty of balls that Sean Marks is going to be juggling over the next couple of years. Yeah, honestly, some of it is just the impact. There's so many different angles from it. Hypothetically, let's say D'Angelo Russell goes on a hot streak. He averages like 22 and 8, you know, the rest of the season. You know, maybe they're like, all right, we can move Dinwiddie in the offseason. He still has great value. He's still an expiring deal. at like, And he's only like, what, under $2 million between 1 and 2 mil. So that's just fire. So they could also do that. Then hypothetically, next season, Dinwiddie starts and does amazing. He gets himself a big deal free agency the Nets couldn't match. Or next season, he comes off the bench, D'Lo and Levert start or somebody else or Jeremy Lin, or he is not getting as many minutes and the Nets really get him on the down low. But there's just so many different variables for Din Dinwiddie that I really can't make a gauge on it because obviously if everyone's healthy, his usage rate and the amount of times he'll have touches and shots next year will probably go down a little bit. So it's like, you know, it's so many different factors that we really just don't know. So it's kind of hard to really gauge. 
yeah, predicting the future, getting the crystal ball out—it's it's really tricky because there's there's so many doors that you could open. You could open door A, and you see Spencer Dinwiddie getting a, a a multi-year contract, a multi-year you know eight-figure contract. Door B sees us trading him because his uh, his value is at an all-time high. Door C sees him coming off the bench. Jeremy Lin takes some of his minutes. Karis Levert progresses even further. We have that huge glut of guards, and then door D is is another scenario that we don't even envision. Um, we can't predict the future, despite the fact that we have done that a few times on the buzz. This one's uh, a little bit too tricky for me, and I, I think you make a really good point on that, Nick, because Spencer didn't when he, you know, we didn't predict this in, in, in the first place. But um, uh, nevertheless, I think that Sean Marks and Coach Kenny are excited, and I think his fans are excited to see uh, where, the, where the team goes. Yeah, regardless, you know, people are like complaining, oh, we have so many like guards that need to play. It's not a bad thing. You know, we have assets. We're starting to build up players that people want. Also, another factor for Dinwiddie will be if he's playing big on the nets, are they winning or losing? Because guys on losing teams that are putting up numbers don't necessarily get the type of money that guys get that are on winning teams, even putting up lesser numbers that are more efficient. So I think that has a big factor as well. But let's talk about Joe Harris. Like I mentioned earlier, I think his deal probably is going a little bit south right now in terms of, you know, what his value would have been if he was a free agent the last few years. So the Nets might be able to hold him for cheap on a multi-year deal. And that would be absolutely perfect and would make me so goddamn happy, Nick. Um, but yeah, I think you it's really at, likely. I think it is as well. I think, you know, the Lou Williams deal, you know, signaled uh, a little bit of a trend in the direction where, where everything's going. You look at where those exceptions are at, you know, the, the disabled players exception, the mid-level exception. You know, Lou will basically sign for just under that sort of max mid-level deal, which is at about 8 to $10 million. And I think he signed just to have that security. Joe Harris might do the same, um, despite the fact that, you know, he has value around the league. Are there going to be other teams out there going to be offering him, you know, $8 million a year when Lou Williams, probably the best six man in today's NBA, is getting that at the... So he's sort of setting the market, setting the trend at that level. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. And I think they mentioned, uh, I can't remember, there was a report around this that's saying that Joe Harris is seen as a core piece going forward. Oh, you know, yes. He I think started, it was a Zach Lowe piece. I think it was as well. Uh, none other. Um, it'd be lovely <laughs> to have him, have, have him on the pod. So Zach Lowe, shout out to him. Uh, shout out to the Lowe <laughs> Post. But um, yeah, I, I, I see him as a core piece as well. I mean, I'm obviously quite biased in my love. Uh, this is that's been the case since the start of the year, and I mean he started us for the last couple of games in the absence of Rondé Hollis Jefferson, which I kind of like too. He's just one of those perfect people that every organization wants that is so versatile in, in his role that you don't want to get rid of him. Um, we mentioned just in terms of you know how he fits into our organization. So many guys just uh, know their role and they fit so well. You know Joe Harris can alter in so many different ways that next year, who knows, he could become like a defensive specialist. And I think with Alan Crabbe's form being so up and down, Joe Harris is the perfect guy to have alongside him as sort of like the the 2.0 Alan Crabbe, but almost like a better version. It's almost like you know Spider-Man and Venom. <laughs> That's an interesting one. I don't know who's Spider-Man, who's Venom. I'll, well, like Venom because Venom is now Tom Hardy. Like I, I prefer... I like the, I mean, I really like Tom Holland as the new Spider-Man. Not that we're comparing getting on the, the Marvel tangent. But I think, you know, Joe Harris kind of looks a little bit like Tom Holland. And you know, I mean, <laughs> Venom, and I'm not going to compare Alan Crabb to Tom Hardy because Tom Hardy is one of the, you know, the goats out there. Uh, Bane and, and Revenant, it's absolutely wonderful. Make sure you check out any of Tom Hardy's movies, guys. Um, not to uh, get off the, the Brooklyn Buzz tangent, but Tom Hardy's absolutely awesome. But yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see you know, uh, how Alan Crabbe improves and how that might affect, 
uh, Joe Harris as well. So there's lots of pieces here. And the fact that the Nets have so much quality and depth uh, speaks testaments just to our entire organization as a whole and to the players themselves. Yeah, and Joe Harris, like you said, in Kenny's system, having two shooters like him and Alan Crabb is definitely an asset. And Joe Harris, I think, would take a discount to stay in Brooklyn. He seems to love it. Obviously, he's had more success here than he had in Cleveland. And the Nets will probably also offer him a, a bigger role than he probably would get in most places. You know, same thing could probably be said about Dinwiddie. He might feel more comfortable here. They both ascended these guys who, I hate to say it, were probably fringe NBA players because just because of the situation. You know, when you're cut from teams like that, you know, you're not big-name players. Not always, You don't always get your chance. And you have to work your way up in the G League. But it turned out the Nets picked them up, and they've just really exploded. So I'd hope to see them both in Brooklyn Nets uniforms for the next five seasons. You know, I don't think they're all-star players, but they're definitely role core players you can have around. And Dinwiddie, it's still kind of a little unknown about how good he can be. And that's and that's the exciting part. And that's the part we mentioned about the the unpredictability about him. But I think one thing that you you sort of hinted at there, Nick. I think continuity and stability is a huge thing in today's NBA. You know, you look at it, a guy like Isaiah Thomas who's been tracked around five million teams. Lou Williams the same. I think stability is is one thing that a lot of NBA players crave. You know, uh, D'Angelo Russell mentioned it uh, coming to the Nets and, and early on in his time, the fact that there was structure to sort of what's going. It's sort of like a college sort of structure that's happening with a lot of the young guys and, and they sort of crave that and they're loving it. And I think a lot of NBA players, no matter what age they are, they love the stability. When they're in a good environment, they want to continue it there. And they'd be willing to take a discount if that meant, you know, continuing their NBA lives in a situation that, um, you know, benefits them. So I think... That's one thing that might entice, you know, some of the guys that are currently there like Joe Harris and uh, Spencer Dimley to continue their time with us. Yeah, and a big topic Corey and I had on the NBA yesterday was relationships. So, and I think some of these guys have great relationships with, you know, the people in the organization, coaches, Sean Marks, Kenny Atkinson. Like, you can see it out there and and the teammates really get along. You know, guys seem to hang out after practice and stuff, so that's really cool. But moving on from the trading contract stuff, we'll talk about a little bit of the play on the court. Obviously, the Nets are struggling. Uh, they lost, I think, eight of their last nine. What is the problem, Jack? Is it talent? Is it energy? Is it injuries? Is it bad play? Is it all of it? Or is there just one thing that's sticking out to you? There's a combo, Nick. Um, I've got some defensive stats um, that I think are, are a little bit worrying. So, Do I want to uh, hear these, Jack? Do I want to hear these? <laughs> you probably don't. But at the same time, they, they highlight an issue that when we're at our best, we mention whenever we talk about a good win, we always say that oh, the Nets held the team under 100 points or, or whatever it is, or they, their hustle looked really good. So right now, uh, over that, that period that you mentioned, we're last in deflections per game. So it shows that our hustle and our engagement on that end of the floor isn't really on. I think Rondé's a big uh, missing piece in that. He's one of those sort of guys that can sort of really get some touches in the lanes. Our opponents have outscored us by an average of 9.5 points more than us. We've averaged 102 points over this span. They've averaged over 111 uh, we have the worst defensive rating over that period at 115.6 and the third worst net rating. Our opponent field goal percentage from three is 40%. Ours is a paltry 33.7. Uh, the opponent field goal percentage as a whole is 47.3 and we're uh, scraping under 44%. Uh, there's We are contesting the most two-point shots per game, which is a nice little sign. But over that period, our perimeter defense has been the worst, the second worst. Um, at 18.6 shots per game, I think just above the Toronto Raptors. So there's positives in the sense that, you know, we're contesting two-point shots, but our perimeter defense, which we've harped on quite a bit, and I mean, missing Rondo Hollis-Jefferson is a big factor, and, and Karis LeVert, you could probably say that those are two of our best defensive players. Uh, there's, It might be personnel, 
But at the same time, you know, we always harp on that next man up. And maybe D'Angelo Russell has an effect on that as well due to his sort of finding his group. But we've seen some nice moments as well from guys like Jared Allen, Jalil Okafor. But, you know, it hasn't been a pretty stretch, Nick. And I, I mentioned to you before the pod that I'd come out you we'll come out here with some stats and hopefully those don't depress too many of our Nets fans. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's some positive and negatives, like you said. I think the, the contested twos probably has a lot to do with Jared Allen. You know, he's obviously the quickest big the Nets have in terms of rim protection, and he's done a good job with that. You know, the three-point contest probably is a little bit of get caught in, getting caught on screens and also just, like, lack of energy. You know, that extra effort on contest really always makes this, the smallest difference, can make, you know, the biggest deal in terms of the shot. And then, like you said, Karras and Rondé being out, I believe Karras leads us in deflections on the season. So not having him, not having Rondé, and even when we did have Karras, he wasn't 100%. He wasn't playing big minutes. And then, like you said, getting D'Angelo back, who's not 100%. He's not running, you know, playing with the same aggression that we saw earlier in the year. So I think it's a combination of things. And the guys kind of look a little bit gassed, Omush. You know, like out there, they don't have the same energy we saw early in the year. I think some of that could do with the fact that a lot of these guys have never played minutes like this in their career. Like they haven't played big minutes in the NBA yet. Some of them haven't even played big minutes in the NBA, like, for a half a season. So getting all these minutes right now, now and all these guys banged up having to play so much I think it's starting to take a toll on the team and the pace like we mentioned they've slowed down the pace which probably is hurting the offense but it's also helped them get some more rest but I still think the guys look a little tired yeah I think tiredness is one is one really big thing Nick I think we're sort of clamoring for that uh, all-star break because I, I know that we're we're probably going to have some much better form going into the sort of second part of the season so the sort of key part of the season the crunch time of the season so to speak we don't have anything to really fight for, as we mentioned earlier in the pod, in terms of playoff positions. But um, there's certainly pride on the line, and we want to get that 30-win mark. That'd be a, a nice little achievement. And I think that these things that we mentioned about, like you know, the percentages, there, our, def- our defense, and our, our hustle stats, these are things that can be easily corrected with just energy, some game film, and going. Okay, so this is the screen you need to fight for. You need to go above the screen, not under the screen. You know, and getting just the personnel and getting a healthy squad out there. You know, Rondé's absence, uh, I think, you know, if you had to mention the fact that Rondé misses 20 games or whatever, it's like, oh, okay, well, it's just Rondé Hollis Jefferson. He might be a good defensive player, but he doesn't really add that much in offense. But, you know, his offense is, uh, he's 15 points a game or thereabouts. You know, he's six rebounds. He's a really nice passer. It's improved out of sight. I think he's probably been on one of our best players this season with Spencer Dinwiddie and missing him, missing your second best player. Um, you take your second best player out of any team and it's you're going to struggle. And, you know, Karis LeVert as well, um, it, it puts a lot of you know emphasis back on a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie when he was at the at the start of the season, and then it adds to his tiredness. So it's sort of like a cyclical effect when you look at it all, Nick. Yeah, and I said this last year with Jeremy Lin being out. You know, obviously it hurts when a player gets injured and he's the second best player in your team like last year. But the fact is that when the Nets are not as talented as they are, you know, when they're lacking those big names and across the board and they only have a few guys that are really good, like losing any of those guys hurts more than even if, you know, Golden State were to lose their best player. They still have plenty of guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. when the Nets have to bring guys in, they got to bring in guys who you don't necessarily want to play. And no offense to them, it's been tough, you know, for them as well, trying to get their groove in the NBA with other guys they haven't really played with. So, but I agree with you. I think Rondé's impact is kind of undersold. And like the same thing with Levert defensively, obviously he's struggled at times, but he's been on ball pretty good. But Rondé's energy, and I also think, like not taking anything away from Jared Allen, but probably Tyler Zeller was a better communicator where Jared Allen's still kind of developing those skills, communicating with the rest of the defense. You know, I think that's something where he could really 
become dominant and help the team. Because what you usually need, you know, when Boston was so good with KG, KG was telling everybody where to go, what to do, where the screen was coming from. And you don't necessarily see that with the Nets. And when the Nets are playing great defense, it's that team defense where they're going all in, they're going over screens, they're closing out hard because they have faith that the guy has their back. And right now, I think the team defense just isn't there. And the communication needs to get better on that side of the ball. Yeah, I think Damari as well struggling a little bit. He's not really struggling, but I think, you know, obviously he's been having to play some heavy minutes at the four, which isn't by any means uh, ideal in terms of uh, where we want him to be playing long term. Yes, it's nice in sort of short spurts where we play those small ball lineups, but, you know, it, it puts an increased load on him, like we mentioned with, with the other players. And I think Coach Kenny mentioned today uh, via, uh, I think, a Nets Daily reporter. You know, Coach Kenny says he doesn't think that the Nets can live with Damari Carroll starting at the four. And he thinks that the addition of Cunningham will hopefully help us. And I think that's a good point as well. You know, Dante Cunningham could come out there, add to that wing rotation. You can never have enough good, capable wings there. They're hard enough to find in today's NBA. And I think, you know, he could be a nice piece to fit in. And even when Monday comes back, you know, he's probably our best stretch wing, um, so to speak. You know, if you, if you want to count to Murray Carroll, he's probably our best as well. But Dante Cunningham can shoot the three. So I, I like, you know, his fit. And I think, you know, for the 30 games or so that we're going to have him, um, I, I think it's a nice little addition. Yeah, not a bad veteran to have around, see what he can do. You know, I think a lot of his minutes will probably get the four, like you said, filling in for Rondé. You know, if AC's having a bad game, we actually can take him out because somebody else can go in there. So yeah. Kenny doesn't have – like, I understand people get so mad that he sticks with AC, but I do understand the fact that he values spacing so much. And AC's the only guy that can bring somebody out a little bit. You know, Jared Allen brings him out of touch, but you can't play him 35 minutes a game. So having Cunningham gives Kenny another piece, which I think will really help him and make him feel good. But uh, we mentioned Rondé and Levert being out. Anything you want to touch on with them? I guess Levert, I hope a full recovery. That was a tough hit he took from Nene. You know, he also sprained his knee, which looked kind of gross down there too. And just to see him gushing blood like that was just sad. Like, I was like, damn, that's my boy. Yeah, it was. It wasn't the prettiest of sights. That's that's for sure, Nick. Um, I think a lot of our guys were were really shocked a little bit by it, and it certain certainly left us a little bit shook in, in the sense. Um, you know, Demario Carroll had some comments after the game, sort of saying like, you know, um, was the play clean or dirty? Uh, I mean, it's. I mean, it, it's it's past the fact now, but you know, hopefully, the main thing is when it comes to things like concussion. Uh, you know, you just want them to be a hundred percent healthy, and I think Carlos Levert. Um. It's it, it's going to be he should be fine. Um, he can take all the time he needs. It's lucky that we do have you know a guy like D'Angelo that's coming back. So uh, I think he could benefit from some time on the sideline. You know, just get himself a hundred percent right because you know we don't want any guys coming back too soon. There's there's no point in in coming back. You know, we're, we're not in any sort of rush. He's not in any sort of rush. Uh, fingers crossed that uh, everything's okay on his end. And yeah, the Rondé Hollis Jefferson injury, that little groin strain, man. It was listed as a day-to-day, but he's, he's been out for, I think, seven or eight games now. So hopefully he's back sooner rather than later uh, because he's a, a really valuable piece. And in terms of our starting lineup, whether he comes back and he, and he slots right back into the starting lineup, it's going to be an interesting sort of scenario because that starting lineup has sort of been rotating quite a bit. Um, you know, we look at Jared Allen, Quincy Ace, and Joe Harris have had some time in there as well. Um, so it's going to be an interesting ga- a few games ahead for two of our sort of young up-and-coming pieces. I wouldn't be surprised if they sit them both until after the All-Star break. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think that would probably be the smart thing to do. There's no risk. Maybe Rondé sooner. With Karras, I'm not taking no chances. Like, concussions are no joke. You And he could easily get, you know, end up on the floor in a game real quick. So, you know, let him get 100%. And like I mentioned before, I think the Nets are going to come out recharged for after the All-Star break. So maybe they implement a new lineup. They get D'Angelo in there. Talking about D'Angelo, 
obviously he's getting back. He's coming off an injury. It's tough. He's a young player. What do you think is the biggest issue for him right now? I think he's still finding his way in the role. Uh, Greg Logan, uh, one of the, the a Newsday guy via uh, Twitter, when he was at the, the shoot-around today, admits that he's adjusted to coming off the bench compared to his normal starting role. Uh, we mentioned in the pod when, when we would see D'Angelo starting. I think that's where D'Angelo feels most comfortable. Um, he said, I think when he was communicating with Coach Kenny uh, and some of the coaches, that they wanted to sort of cut down on his uh, turnovers. But I think that's that's part and parcel what you're going to get with the D'Angelo Russell package. Um, despite the fact that he has only had a couple of games back, in the games that has he has been back, he's only had two really bad turnover performances, one with six, one with seven. The rest have only been one or two. So I'd, I'd prefer to see him alongside of Spencer Dimwitty because in, in that sense, you know, you can share the ball handling duties. Um, I, I think he's Co- Coach Kenny and D'Angelo have communicated really well and I think they've got a really great rapport. I mean, you have to when you have your, your point guard. I think he has that with Spencer Dimwitty as well. I think the both of them have mentioned the fact that the term, the focus is the long term. Um, I'd like to see, you know, we saw that sort of breakout game from, from D'Angelo Russell, but then his, his minutes sort of went down, which was a little bit strange. So I think I'd like to see, you know, if and, and him playing, you know, not in the clutch as well. Uh, if we're really, maybe he's still not at 100%, uh, that remains to be seen. I mean, we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes, but I'd like to see him moved into that starting lineup, playing alongside a Spencer Dinwiddie. And then, I mean, it leaves us a little bit um, waving who do you take out of that starting lineup? Is it going to be Alan Crabb, who's now hit you know somewhat of a vein of form? Um, but I'd like to see D'Angelo starting. I think there's too much sort of credence given to Alan Crabb's you know up and down form. He plays a good game. It's like oh, okay, we've got to keep him in the starting lineup. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see whether he can force his way into the starting lineup. I certainly think he should be. Yeah, Crabb's a weird guy to be honest with. The Nets treat him a little bit different than the other guys. I feel like sometimes, like yeah. they're kind of worried about his confidence because you see Kenny pull guys after they make stupid mistakes all the time. Like he's done it to Dinwiddie, he's done it to D'Lo, he's done it to Lavert, he's done it to Rondé. But I've never seen him do it to Alan Crabb. And no offense to him, he's had plenty of mistakes where he's could have should have gotten <clears throat> he should have gotten pulled right away. So, but like you mentioned, D'Angelo. Like, I think the bench role is hurting him a little bit. You know, I th- going into it, you're like, oh, not as much pressure on the bench. You know, it's going to be second second tire guys. But just think about this. He played with a lineup the other day. It was like Isaiah Whitehead, Nick Stauskas, James Webb, and like Okafor. Like, no offense to those guys, but it's, it's going to be tough not to have a lot of turnovers because the defense is completely focused on you. You know what I mean? So if he's yeah. in a starting lineup or he's with Spencer having somebody out there, when Levert was out there, I think it made it a little bit easier. So I'm going to take the pressure off a little bit. But if Levert or Dinwiddie aren't out there with him and he's trying to get in his rhythm, it's really easy for the defense to key on him, trap him, just make a life a lot more difficult. Same thing with uh, D'Lo. I think after the All-Star break, I think he has to be back in the starting lineup and he has to get back into that you know, high 20, 20 or low 30-minute range. Yeah, I'm, I, he was playing some really elevated minutes before that injury, Nick. And we know that the young guys want to be out there. Um, and Brian, in terms of his minutes, Brian Fonseca of um, Nets Daily mentioned that but he doesn't know how many minutes he's going to play ahead of time. Uh, it's sort of de- decided by Coach Kenny the performance stuff. And I quote, uh, I have no idea, honestly. I just show up to the game and play. I'm not re- I don't really worry about their communication. So it's good to see that uh, D'Angelo Russell has that sort of, you know, he doesn't really care what he's doing. He's just out there playing his role. But um, it'd be nice to see, you know, 25 minutes or more because when we see him play those higher minutes, because, 
you know, we go through the games that he's been back so far. He's played 14 minutes, 14, 14, 15, 21, 20, 16, 24, 18, uh, 20, and 17. You know, it's been fluctuating. You'd like to see a bit more consistency and going up. But, you know, those 19 and 17 minutes, despite the fact that he played 24, which was sort of a mini breakout game, and when that 16-minute game where he played like 22 points and uh, a five rebound, and he just had a great game. I want to see, you know, those 25 to, to 30-minute range like you were mentioning. You know, he, he's looking healthy enough. Um, so I think we, we start to see some higher minutes. And hopefully, I mentioned that he should be back in the starting lineup within a game or two. Um, I, I hope I see it sooner rather than later as well. Yeah, I agree. I, I wouldn't, I'd be happy to see him pick up some big minutes. And I think you just need to make a change. And I think going, you know, this bad stretch eight of the last nine losing, like it's time to probably make a change in the starting lineup and getting, you know, they need to get some wins especially like we mentioned, not making the trades. I think getting wins right now is important. You know, you have some of these teams that are mediocre. I think over the next 10, 12 games, there's some definitely some winnable ones in there. And the Nets need to really convert on that and get themselves on some momentum to build into next season. But before we get out of here, Jack, anything else you want to touch on? Uh, just a massive, massive, massive shout out to Jared Allen's game the other night. Um, first Nets rookie center in over 30 years to record 10 points, 10 rebounds, five assists. And I think the past eight games, he's had double-digit performances, lots of double-doubles. Um, he is, if he was, uh, we were redrafting again, like if or maybe you should get Corey to do uh, another little redraft at the All-Star break of uh, this year's class. I'd be surprised if I didn't see him in the top 10, top 12, because he's been absolutely outstanding. Massive shout-outs to our boy. Yeah, I mean, he's playing like one of the best bigs in this draft class for sure. And I think, you know, the poise that he has and the development we see every game, I think it's remarkable. You know, usually from rookies like this, they'll have a couple good games and then they'll have a couple terrible games. But it's not like Jared Allen has had any terrible games. Yeah, he's had some bad moments where he's got bodied by big guys and got a shot blocked at the rim. But nothing that's like, wow, that was just a terrible performance. You know, every game you kind of want Jared Allen out there at center. You know, there's nobody else you'd rather see out there in most cases. Definitely. And I mean, over the stretch that we've been talking about, uh, the eight or nine games, he's been averaging 14, almost 14 points a game, a little bit over seven rebounds, a bit over an assist, almost uh, a bit over half a steal, almost one block a game, only one turnover, and at almost 70% field goal. Um, and all in less than 25 minutes of play. So those are all great numbers. And, um, you know, I think the break will come at a nice time for him as well. I'll have to sort of readjust, see where he is going forward because if he, we mentioned, you know, the skill set that he has going forward, everyone's sort of saying, you know, Clint Capella uh, version. But uh, Clint Capella isn't going to have many uh, five assists plus nights uh, per game. That's a really uh, interesting dimension to his game. That's going to be really fun to see. If we can have, I mean, our motion sort of offense system uh, allows our bigs to sort of be really involved in it. So that's something I'm really excited about. I love seeing bigs passing. You see what Andre Drummond's doing right now in, in a revitalized season with Detroit. I certainly think that, you know, that shows you that the bigs uh, have a real bit, really nice, really expansive role in today's game. And Jared Allen, as a baby in this net system, uh, exciting times ahead. Yeah, it, it's a game changer when you're big and pass, especially if he's a roller like Jared Allen is. You know, usually a lot of these guys get the ball in that situation, you know, around the free throw line to the, uh, the top of the rim. You know, they don't know what to do unless they're right in front of the rim. They can dunk it or lay it in or it's a wide open lane. We've seen Jared Allen take a few dribbles, stop or get the ball, you know, turn his head, make a pass to the corner. Now, and it works out so perfectly because of the Nets run the spacing system that Kenny wants and they have a shooter at the four or hypothetically Rondé's cutting to the rim. It just puts a ton of pressure on there. I've also seen Jared Allen have a couple like push slash teardrop shots. And I think if he adds something like that, he's just going to be dynamic in the pick and roll. If he keeps adding this passing, it's just going to give the Nets just 
a great overall center. And like, no offense to Brooke, like I love Brooke. He's probably one of my favorite players of all time, but he couldn't do a lot of the things that Jared Allen's already doing that we've seen. Like Jared Allen's probably going to average more rebounds this season than Brooke averaged last year. And he's probably going to average more assists possibly too. Like Jared Allen's really impressing me. It's ridiculous, Nick. The fact that we're getting all this out of a rookie center. Um, this might we got something special here. And a non-lottery pick too. A non-lottery pick. We mentioned earlier in the pod the fact that we've never had really anything under a, uh, above a, tw- a number twenty pick in the past sort of five years. Carousel I think it was about twenty-two. Wonder Hollis Jefferson twenty-three. You know the the development of the Nets uh, internal development and our player developments is is remarkable. Uh, and if we can turn a guy like Jared Allen, who many were saying was uh, lottery bound. And he sort of slips through the cracks a little bit. The Nets got their guy. And I think, you know, when the Nets sets their sights on someone and they know how to develop them, man, it, it's going to be fun to see. And I think a lot of players, a lot of rookies, you know, a lot of uh, rookie classes looking forward are going to be like, oh, I can see what they're doing out there in Brooklyn. Um, we mentioned that earlier in the pod in terms of the system that they've got right now and the facilities. Uh, it's going to be great things ahead for, for a lot of young, uh, budding Nets prospects. For sure. And it just is exciting. And like, you know, shout out to Sean Marks and the whole front office and what they've done. Like we mentioned last time on the pod, getting this amount of town and just giving us some faith for the future is great because two years ago, we had no idea where we'd be at all, especially with Boston having our picks. But that wraps it up for today. Jack, as always, great show. And thank you, everybody, for listening. You can catch us on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, and otgbasketball.com. Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place with Flex, a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. Find what you want with your voice on Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, and more. No more jumping in and out of apps. And get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. It's a way better way to watch. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet excluding Internet Essentials, one device included. Subscriptions required to access streaming services. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.